This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. This week's edition, uh, it's Dan Morgan, Joel Rabinovitz and Oliver Connolly. It's dark, it's cold, there's no sign of light and that is just currently Liverpool's form. Um, but we will come to that. In the meantime, gents, hope you're well. Um, I want to start this week by touching on um, transfers, the concept of transfers, centre-backs, Liverpool, transfers across the board, uh, and a particularly sore spot for you, Ollie, which is David Alaba going to Real Madrid. Um, we spoke about this yesterday, and I think it's a really a really telling move. One that is, is, in many senses, completely obvious, in that just because Liverpool have been linked to a player doesn't mean there's some... Wizards of Oz smokescreen there that means that they're secretly trying to get him. Um, but also the fact of what kind of profile of centre-back Liverpool are looking for, if they're looking for one at all now, given the fact that the problem seems to be they're not scoring goals, even though they're not conceding them. Yeah, the, my Alaba thing is, if your profile rules, rules out David Alaba, then the profile is wrong, not the player. Um, because my thing with him was not even so much that that to me was a the perfect fit of this season and beyond because he can fit in at left back for you. I don't know they've got Costas Chimikas, but maybe you move him and he becomes more of a, of a right back option for you. You can slot in at left back. I think he's perfect to be the shuttling number eight when Genie leaves. And uh, as difficult as it would be to say, okay, we give him 200 grand a week, but we refuse to give Genie Wine Alden 200 grand a week. Well, this guy can play three positions and Genie plays the one. I just thought all across the board in terms of top level quality, what you can get for the next 24, 36 months out of him, winning mentality, bringing in fresh players, but already know how to win. I mean, these guys, him and Thiago have won league titles for a decade straight. You know, they know how to churn them out, how to self-start, how to go again the following season, how to win European Cups and league titles in the same campaign. To me, at that price, which is free, and maybe you do it in January for 10 million quid or what have you, I just thought it was a complete no-brainer. I do think it's um, that one... That one sniffs to me like their briefing model and it's purely financial. I think that's a bit disingenuous. Just just where are you on the chart of, uh, of disappointers? Are you like Nabil Fakir or are you Lee <laughs> Barrier? <laughs> uh, oh, that's tough. Why? What, what I don't get is this concept of like they, they went the briefing to, to the big transfer journalists is aerial duels height and all that jazz and it's like but joe gomez played center back he has i went through this a few weeks ago i was telling you yesterday he has one of the worst aerial duel rates for any premier league winning center back ever he's like literally the bottom guy and they they were fine with him and you have fabinho next to alaba like to me it's it's not crushing because i didn't expect it to happen whereas other ones i've expected to happen but i do think it's disappointing i think it's just a big opportunity miss do you think it's the wage thing though ollie because he was it was like 280 that he turned down per week at Bayern, I think, was his latest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ours are still, what, like 220, 250 top? Yep. So I know that it's kind of offset by the fact that you're not paying a fee for him um, as such. But, yeah, I wondered with that one whether it's kind of not wanting to compromise that and how I that impacts that. the rest of the squad. The thing, and I go back to this all the time, is like if you just win the league title, you make your money back. You know, and I know it's a bit of a gamble, but it's not that much of a gamble, honestly. And if you can shift Gruwich and you can shift some of the loan players, I've said this before, you can sell loan players now. You can go and offer Gruwich right now and just get him off the books and use that money to put into the wage packet. There's ways of of manoeuvring money and divvying up your budget. I think we're going to find out in these books the stuff that they don't want to 
they don't want to see. And the thing that FSG have compared to a lot of other ownership groups is all of the cash from that group. So not John Emery's personal cash, but the money comes from that group, right? It's not the individual people. It's a group of businessmen who have one sporting venture. That's where all the sports money is. It's all in sports. It's not like they, that group has venture capital stuff going on. That's just sports teams. And they're all getting hit, right? Across the board. So Liverpool make a $100 million loss and uh, the, the Red Sox make a $100 million loss for the last calendar year. That's the issue is it's not just this one team. It's that they've got these other business interests across the globe that are all getting caned by the pandemic. Joel, I'll, I'll never forgive the fact that Liverpool never signed Marcel Desailly in around 1998. <laughs> um, even then, my 12-year-old self knew that Liverpool were desperate for a centre-back. Um, but just touching on Ollie's point, I mean, I... I think it's interesting and I'd actually play devil's advocate with this slightly in the sense that he talks about Joe Gomez and his aerial dual percentage and stuff like that. In that sense, Alibert, there was briefings that Alibert, given his height, what is he, 6'1"? Uh, he's 5'10", I think he is. He's a is he? Yeah. Well, that was a reason why they ruled him out. Now, that to me tells me that they're looking for a certain profile of centre-back mm-hmm. and... Maybe David Alaba doesn't fit the fact that they're looking for, in fact, a fourth choice. Maybe, in fact, they're looking for the player who can who can come up against an Ollie McBurney, say, and just win his duels when he needs to. If Joe got, if Joel Matip isn't fit, and and that's you know that's a, a very simplistic way of looking at it. But the the just sign a centre back argument is a little bit more nuanced in the sense that we don't actually know what what kind of centre back they're looking for. We don't. I think we also don't know what Liverpool's actual centre-backs look like for next season because I kind of think they need to replace Matip anyway in the summer. I'm not saying necessarily get rid of him, but sort of get someone who essentially takes his place in the squads. And if he's fit, then that's kind of an unexpected bonus. I think Liverpool kind of has to look at him that way next season. Um, And then we don't know what the two guys coming back, what kind of shape they're going to be in or how long it will take them to return to anything like their old levels if they do that next season at all. Um, so I think there's a pretty strong case that they go out and buy what basically is a first choice one. You'll play kind of 30, 40 games in all comps anyway. Um, in terms of profile, I mean, the, the ones who whose kind of names keep getting mentioned, um, both of which, from what I've seen, look kind of ideal in terms of they are good on the ball. They're very quick, so they can play the high line and they're good in the air. Other two French guys at Leipzig, Uwe Meccano and Canate. Um, and it would have been really interesting to see what would have happened this month had the Champions League draw not gone the way it did, because I think that almost, if there ever was a possibility, sort of killed either of them dead in the water if Liverpool were interested. Um, and I think the thing with both of those is they've got release clauses that come into play in the summer, if I'm right in saying around, it's only around the 45 million euro mark, I think that might be right, um, which kind of in the current market seems seems more than reasonable. So, yeah, we're, we're yet to see the sort of full you see sometimes a certain positions as like a, a short list um like when they were signing the left back in the summer and there was a whole series of names there i think Regrion was on it as well Simicas obviously Jamal Lewis we don't really know who those center backs are but yeah you're right to say that it's not it's not as easy to just go out and buy someone because they have a very kind of narrow list of of attributes that they're looking for and, oh, and the players that yeah, the players that do have them are so small and the clubs that do want do have them don't want to lose them halfway through a season. The reason the Alaba one's so frustrating to me is that I, I really think that the value comes in that versatility. You get a world-class player in three positions. So it, it wouldn't be centre-back for centre-back's sake. I think if they went out now and said, we're doing Ben White for 30 million quid, I think that would be a, not desperation, but a centre-back for centre-back's sake. I don't think he fits 
what they will be looking for is more of a three at the back type play. He's probably really a more of a holding midfielder who drops mm. into a back three. That to me will be desperation. I, I just can't fathom that of all the world's centre backs, Michael Edwards is saying only these two lads at this one club fit my profile. That's not really how they've operated in the past. They've often had a quite sprawling board. Aside from Allison and Van Dyke, it's usually been their second choices they've ended up having to sign. You know, I mean, second their choices. I mean, given the form and, and given the, the obvious problems that we, we can highlight and will do on here, is the priority now a centre-back? You know, that as mad as that sounds, with, with two centre-midfielders playing there, you know, this is a Liverpool team that isn't scoring goals and isn't conceding them. And I think I think what my argument to you yesterday, Ollie, was on our call, was that you can see the profile of an attacker more than you can a centre-back at the moment. You can see the profile of attacking player that they need more than you can you know, the centre-half. And, and that might come back to flip on its head. Liverpool might start scoring goals, we might start conceding them. And then we're still in the same boat in terms of them not picking up points. But at the moment, to, to get the balance right, and I think this is a case of balance in terms of what's right for the team, what gets it to the point in which it can sort of serve both things at the same time. I wonder if the emphasis will be, no, this is, this is a problem in terms of us in the final third. And if we get Virgil back in March, for example, then we can sort of deal with this as a lesser issue to the fact that we need X type of forward player now. Yeah, I wrote this yesterday. I think there's, there's certainly a case to be made of a, of a would-you-rather game between do you wait and push your chips on Erling Haaland in the summer, who, like Joel said before, he has a what's it, 75 million euro release clause. His agents already come out and said, we're going destination, we're not going cash. You know, it's a reversal to Alaba. They think they can make it back by making him a global icon mm-hmm. somewhere and, and becoming synonymous with a club, which is why they're saying, you know, Barcelona's in court on winding up orders and the agent's saying, we're just going to find a way to get him there. You know, they have no money, but we'll figure it out. So there's a case you could make for saying, let's hold off now and, and save those chips where you're going to have Mbappe, Sancho, Holland available and somebody it sounds like fantasy football or football manager but the the real possibilities when you include the, the the power you have with Nike and what that can do when you go into a pitch meeting which is what this is now it's like free agent recruiting in other sports everyone knows what the money is it's set because we have release clauses these days and you go in and say we can make you this guy with this club with this fan base so there's definitely a case for that and I think We'll find out soon enough. Remember, they got those, the North African and the Chinese TV all just got signed off in November. So they know what that money is now. So I, I really am not buying as much as they have all these these financial issues that it's a pure cash thing. There's no way they would magically have 50 million quid in the summer to go and buy one of these Leipzig centre-backs that they can't use at some point. Now, I think it, it probably is more likely that they're having meetings saying, do we really need this? Do we believe, based on what we've the discussions we've had, that like Joel said, Van Dijk and Gomez will come back? as close as possible to before. And so it's probably better to say, let's evolve a little bit. Let's put the chips into getting one of these big star players up front. Where are you with that, Joel? Do, do you think the priority now lies in different positions? Because again, again, to, to put another another spanner in the works, Liverpool need a centre midfielder this summer. They're going to lose Gini Wijnaldum. They need, they need another midfielder. They can't rely on players like Naby Keita in the same way they can't rely on Joel Matter for fitness. So Liverpool are going to be in the market for a midfielder. They're going to be in the market for a centre-half. They're going to be in the market for a forward. What is what is this season telling us in terms of where the priorities should be? I think the midfield's an interesting one in the, in the sense that if you write down all the names in the squad currently, it's clearly the most stacked um, in terms of depth and quality. But like you say, there's, there's loads of caveats there in terms of Keita is another one, kind of almost like Matip, but you can't, really consider kind of a reliable squad member 
Um, Oxide Chamberlain, again, a player that me and Ollie especially has spoken about lots in this podcast we like, but we haven't seen him kind of in peak condition for a while when he's had kind of a serious injury this season. Milner's, is he 35 now? There's only yeah. so much more you can expect to get out of him. Steady um, Joel, I'm 35 this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not playing football. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> As and, a top um, player, though, he's sneakily injured, isn't he, Milner? Joel, you've he, written about this a bunch. He's sneakily, as the Iron Man persona, he's often not available. You know, he's picked up a lot of muscle strains um, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months or so. It doesn't get spoken about so much. And then, like you say, Wijnaldum seemingly looks like it's, it's not going to happen, the contract extension. So all of a sudden, you go from having sort of seven, eight, nine options there to kind of three or four um reliable ones that you can and that's including Tiago who as we know has kind of got his own fitness issues in the past um so yeah sentiment is one that they, they will need to look at undoubtedly um as well and it's probably one for another podcast I'm sure but it it's not inconceivable that one of the front three potentially moves on either this summer or the one after that and then kind of what you do with that is a whole other question so yeah you're right to say that centre-back is just one of kind of a whole load of positions really in the squad that they're going to have to look at quite seriously. Um, if not now, then definitely in the summer going into next season. Because as well, the other thing that you know, the theme that keeps on coming up in in these podcasts and in pieces that we write is that the, the age profile of a squad um, is kind of in a sweet spot now um, in terms of what you'd expect for a team that wants to win trophies. Most of that starting eleven, when they're all fit, are kind of in that twenty-seven to thirty um, peak zone. But kind of moving into next season, as that becomes closer to more players being in their 30s, Liverpool do need to start buying these guys are kind of in that 23 to 27 mark, where they kind of got the likes of Mane, Salah and Firmino when they first arrived, really. Um, and that's something, I think, across all those positions that we just mentioned, um, will need to be kind of at the top of their priorities. I think there's an evolution to come. Um, and I think we, we talk about this teams in transition, teams needing to evolve. I think Haaland's perfect for what we should want to be doing. Um, and I think that when you look at what's, what's prevalent now in terms of this season and, and the issues that they're having, look, I think this is a blip. I think I think this is nothing more than a collective dip in form. And I think we'll we'll be looking back on this as, in, in as little as two weeks' time and saying, yeah, that this might cost us, but it was nothing more than a temporary thing. But in the long term... I do think Liverpool need another option. And I think that that isn't to, to downplay Erling Haaland's ability as some kind of battering ram. But there is there is the sort of problem-solving, as Pep Linders calls it, um, element within the attack that I think Liverpool are just slightly shy of. And they can, they can partly fix that when Diogo Jota comes back. But to have another option on top of that, which is completely aesthetically different in its makeup and one in which adds another way to play that just offers opposition managers and coaches, you know, no way of, of knowing how you combat this Liverpool side who can beat you in any manner of ways. So, you know, if the, the low block thing carries on being a factor, to have that other option then to say, well, this is how they combat this is is just it's basics for the team that, that should be winning things and and is you know, trying to be the best they can be for while it's together. That that's common sense to me. I think the other thing, Ollie, worth referencing, and I don't know whether this is any solace to us, um, but nobody is spending and everybody has something to lose. 
And it feels like this window is going to be a complete write-off in terms of transfers. And that tells me um, that obviously the pandemic is a massive issue, but it also tells me that for the likes of Everton, Leicester City, the two Manchester clubs, all with massive, you know, sort of aspirations on the line here, the the realisation of, of what is financially going on is, is soon to hit home for everyone, I think. Yeah, I think that there was there had to have been some kind of thought that they would have something back by this time now when they were spending because they spent like normal in the summer. You know, they again they briefed all summer along that it wouldn't be a normal summer. For much of the summer, it didn't look like it. The average value of each transfer dropped massively. The total volume of transfers dropped massively, and then that final three weeks, they all just said whatever. We're just going back to the norm. Once one person went, they all went. You know, Liverpool went and signed Diogo Jota and Thiago within a few hours of each other. Um, after it looked like they were going to sit out the whole window. So I, I do think some of the re- reality of it and how sustained it's been is going to hit home now. I mean, the knock-on consequences for this, just personally, people's lives, is devastating. You look through the football league now, there are redundancies galore because mm. the money is just not trickling down the way it, it ordinarily would. And you have clubs in the Premier League level all the way down, at least the ones who don't have kind of an oligarch who can just underwrite the costs. They, they, they've been working on four-month models for two decades. And now you had to have a sustainable, basically, 26-month model. And most of them don't. And I think that's the one thing, I guess, if Liverpool don't spend, you can give them some credit that they've always briefed sustainability and they've always suggested that this is about 20 years, not 20 months. So that is in their favour. But you're right. I mean, if no one's spending, it's really hard to be the first to get into the market when you don't have crazy sums of money to just go and throw at someone. You know, you kind of need everyone's and the dominoes to be moving and agents to be willing to put deals together for you. And if everyone's saying, even for their clients saying, look, we could do the move now, but we really want to wait till the summer because we might end up getting 150 grand a week here rather than 100 grand a week. And so we're all mm-hmm. just going to sit out and wait it. And maybe you've got the added element. I don't know how much of this is there and it's speculative but maybe it doesn't feel as pressing to them because there aren't fans of the stadium maybe it doesn't feel quite as as real um right it's like do we really need to go and do this now i'm going to go and spend you know 20 30 million quid to what end i think you are right on the it's really interesting on that champions league point i I would have thought someone like everton um who's in financial distress would maybe take the gamble on the champions league and say let's go and get two players and we would it's a massive like game of blackjack but if we make it that our whole pandemic costs are basically covered by getting the champions league tv money um so i think that's an interesting one but yeah liverpool have rarely been the team to to be like the first to market um and you're kind of waiting to see if anyone starts anything now and the one would be chelsea i think right if they made a move in january with lampard it's not like it's going to happen but maybe they would jump back into it do you think it's also a case that the players are holding back a little bit, Joe? You know, you know, Harry Kane, for example, can he guarantee that Tottenham can give him what he wants if if they have another season where they they don't qualify for the Champions League? If the, the fans don't start coming back, do you think there's this isn't just a club thing? Do you think it's a collective sort of sitting on our hands approach from those within the game and saying just wait and see see who's got the money basically come come the summer? I think. Definitely. Um, in years to come, I think in general, we'll look back at this season as, if not a write-off, um, then a, a kind of, it is a massive anomaly. We have to treat it as that in terms of kind of what Ollie said there is interesting, that it's not just us for fans, that it feels a little bit weird, but almost the people who are in the game, running the game, in charge of the money, involved in the game, mm. looking at it and the payoff that you get from the big wins, even from winning trophies, yes, there's the financial benefits which you want, but in terms of, kind of how it all feels and how kind of 
come to regard those achievements this season. That's not to play it down because Liverpool are kind of in a bad run of form and we're not so certain about their title chances anymore. But I think it is one where, like you said, there's a lot of wait and see going on. Um, and yeah, kind of come the summer. And we don't even know, you would hope by next season that kind of stadiums, if not completely full, are kind of there's more consistent fans there um, and that starts to become a thing again. And then that can be factored into this summer's finances for transfers. But yeah, I'm not that surprised that in general, this this month has just been completely dead, really, in terms of the top clubs in the league. Um, and I think if to come back to Liverpool and whether anything does actually happen, we've kind of we've done stuff over the last few weeks on on loan deals. That's still something I think they need to look at. Um, I, I still think that's an option because if they don't want to kind of compromise six months time in terms of what they want to do in the summer and don't want to take a huge chunk out of that. I still think there's a case that this season is important enough. Um, and like Ollie said, you cover your costs by winning trophies. And if they can get a decent centre-back, I refuse to believe that there's not one in the Premier League or across Europe who's not happy with their current game time and all come and try and win a league and get as far as possible in the Champions League for five months of Liverpool. Um, even if they're not kind of the ideal profile they'd usually go for, I still think that's worth considering as a compromise. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. All right, over on liverpool.com, um, we've started a, a running series up until Burnley where we are, in fact, putting the, the front three on trial, so to speak. So every day there will be a piece. Um, I did mine yesterday where we make a case um, against the front three, we make a case for them, and then we give a verdict, and it is to do with their current form. And just to highlight and elaborate, this isn't us putting them on trial. It is the footballing world, as we well know, they their form is now a massive talking point across the globe. So, I'll start you off, Joel. My my overall take, um, once given the, the case for and against their current um, form, was that I think they would be better served, at least on Thursday, taking one of Mane or Salah out of the, the starting lineup and introducing them with minimum 55 gone. Um, I think that... What we're seeing and what we've seen against United was that this is a Liverpool team who probably a lot to do with the calendar and the lack of a pre-season and everything else that's gone on with this season is putting a lot into the opening half half hour of games. And I think within this run in which they haven't been winning, we're seeing that if teams feel like they can weather the storm of Liverpool in the first 30, then they back themselves to sit in and take whatever they've got at that point, albeit a draw or, or like Southampton a win. Um, I think Liverpool could massively benefit from just holding back one of Mane or Salah for that final half an hour, 35 minutes to inject some energy, to inject some impetus, to inject some pace and to, to perhaps win a game from late because throughout all of this, second half goals have felt the most hard to come by, in my opinion. And I think that if there's one thing Liverpool have to solve, if you like, it's it's how to get back that sort of last 15, 20 power through that they usually get through when fans are there, especially in Anfield, um, and, and finding the way to to win a game later on. And I think that for me, yeah, I think starting without one of those two might be the way to do it. Who are you putting in then is, is my question. Because I, I, I get the thought process. Um, and I think if Jota was there, it's a no-brainer. You just go with him for this one. Um, um, but there's not an obvious one because I, I quite... I'm not quite sure about Shakiri being a front three player. 
Um, and then it's it's kind of really Minamino or Rigi at the moment, which I would I would roll the dice with Rigi, and I know a lot of people <laughs> I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, and I'm never I'm never watching the YouTube comment for this podcast as a result. But I think you could see what they were trying to do with him the other night. I and you move you move Sal, uh, Mane centre forward, um, and you ask him to stretch them the other side. And yes, he he can be extremely frustrating, and yes, you know he can be extremely anonymous. But I actually think he's better starting games than he is. Um, from the bench, I actually think Burnley could be this season's Everton in terms of just a mad team selection dropping and us going, what what is this? What's going on here? Um, but that would be what I would do. I think I think Minamino is is a damning indictment on him that he he hasn't had a, a minute of Premier League football since since Crystal Palace for whatever reason that is. And yeah, we can put him in, but I think to have him and Firmino in the same team is something that. Is, is going to cause you problems, especially against the Burnley side, which is just so narrow and so compact. So yeah, I'd be doing I'd be doing a Rigi from the left. I'd be doing probably Mane through the middle, and I'd hold Salah back. Um, so I, I think it's a way of doing it, um, and especially like you say when Jota comes back. But there is something has to to give it. I guess is the point that I'm making now at the minute in terms of. Getting them to enjoy the enterprise a little bit more. It, it, it seems as though those three, above all others, are the ones who feel like they're suffering most and, and, and are not enjoying it most. Yeah, I think I think my answer to this is is kind of in contrast to yours, really, is to kind of just play them back into form. I know that mm. seems like kind of the boring approach, um, but I just think any of the changes that you do make there without Jota as an option sort of just make Liverpool weaker and change the style quite significantly. Um, and I think if, if we're looking at the United game, that has to be a, a bit of a standalone, I think, compared to the ones that came before it. I think it's tempting to lump all those games, West Brom, Newcastle, Southampton, United, in as, as a kind of cohesive thing where the same problems happened in all of them. And I don't think that really was the case. I think in the three games before United, um, post Mane scoring the opening goal against West Brom. Um, that big chunk, there was a lot of similar problems in terms of getting the ball up the pitch quickly, getting the front three in the right positions to hurt teams. Um, Liverpool being too safe on the ball, not taking enough risks, the full-backs struggling to get forward like they normally would. That was all kind of evident in those games. I think United was a really different one um, in that there were tons of chances. Ollie wrote something yesterday about the full-backs. They were getting into all their normal positions quite a lot, especially in the first half. And the delivery just wasn't there or the decision-making was wrong. Same with the front three. Um, I think Firmino was probably guiltiest of a lot where there was a couple of times where he just needed to play in Robertson um, or he had a, a clear shot on goal and he just scuffed it along the floor and the chance was gone. Salah, again, he's doing a lot of this thing at the moment where he's getting the ball exactly where you'd want him up against a defender and he's either <clears throat> just running into a sea of bodies and losing the ball or he's turning back on himself. Um, and taking the easy option as if he's scared to kind of try and go past players. Um, I think Mane is probably the one who's he's not playing anywhere near his best, but is, is dropped off the least. I still think he's kind of a threat when he's on the pitch. Um, I think when you watch them at the moment, what, what's frustrating is that they, they don't do a lot of the interplay that has been such a feature of them as a trio in the past. It's like watching three kind of individuals trying to all do their own thing slightly separately um and it yet yeah, it all feels a kind of a little bit disjointed um and separate and i think 
in part, that's a lack of confidence. Maybe there's mental, physical fatigue from the amount of football they've played. Um, you know, we we talk about kind of continuity and stability and everything as being something you want in football. But they these guys have been playing together for a long time now with not a lot of rest repeatedly. Um, and I do think it's interesting when you look at Liverpool's best attacking performances this season. I was talking to Ollie about this this morning. Games like Atalanta away, Palace away, Leicester at home. They're all games when the front that front three aren't all starting. You've got at least one of Jota or Minamino win. And it's almost like having that slightly different element for the other two just freshens it up a little bit. Um, and that spontaneity um, seems to work a little bit for Liverpool. So having said that, yeah, ahead of tomorrow night, I can just see a scenario. If you play Minamino against Burnley, you can just see him getting out muscled. <laughs> and knocked around all over the place by the likes of me and Tarkowski. It just doesn't feel like a game for him. So I think you you do kind of just have to back the front three to to play themselves through this. And they do need a little bit of luck as well. I think as much as they have been playing poorly, there's been times in, in the last few games where, you know, Mane could come away having won two penalties against Southampton. And we're looking at that as a good 2-1 win. Um, and he doesn't get the decisions in that one. There's been times when... Salo or Firmino don't get a ricochet in the box that might have fallen for them and they've got an easy shot and it just bounces the wrong way. And yeah, it does feel like at some point something's got to give um, because you can't just keep keep playing these three and it, they won't, you would have to think they won't keep performing this badly for another few weeks. Um, so yeah, hopefully in a month's time we're not having the same conversation about the same problems. But I think for me, yeah, you've just got to, you've got to back them to get themselves through this run. Ali, I think we could see what, what Jürgen Klopp was trying to do with Jaden Shaqiri on, on Sunday. Are you, are you surprised there's not been... I mean, he plays against Southampton, but are you surprised there's not been more Oxlade-Chamberlain in that sense? I have, yeah. He just he looks so rusty against Southampton. And, and I, they've seen him, obviously, so much more in training. You do wonder if he's a player who just needs a, a longer, a wider berth to, to get back up to, to full sharpness. Shaqiri thing was really interesting. Playing him on the right as a traditional eight was not something I expected at first. And, and until let's see, an hour ago, I was like, I thought that was the wrong decision. He should have been on the left side naturally. And then Joel pointed out to me that where you get the more natural drifting into what looks like a pseudo 10 role and you maybe free some space. If someone goes with him, you free more space for Trent. And that is like the whole goal here is how can we get Trent in his normal positions? And that's why I thought was so frustrating the other night as Joel pointed out is that this was not like the other games. They got into fine positions. They won the XG battle again against a, a decent United defence as much as we can um, laugh at the individual character sometimes for two seasons now they've got fantastic defensive numbers they, they just are good now it just is what it is um i really like having the wild card in there that the, the shakiri arriving late to the edge of the box he had that shot where i think he hit it, it deflected off someone and rolled past the gear that is perfect that's all you need and just having that different option as you know it's on the site yesterday with the uh, missing the coutinho and long range efforts just, they just need some diversity into the attack that they, they just something needs to be different that the speed has gone from the attack they, that front three specifically struggles against low blocks. It's just we've had such a long run of it now that it just has become factual. It's no longer subjective. And having just something a little bit different, and usually it'll be the fullbacks creating something magical. They're just not playing well, the two of them at the moment. And I agree with Joel on the front three question because I, there's a part of me where it's like, you know, you turn up, Burnley turn up tomorrow night. I, I love all the nerdy tactical stuff for the analysis, but you turn up tomorrow night as Burnley to Anfield. It's not a packed house, I get that, but you get the team sheet. And if Minamino or Riggi's on there, you're like, all right, lads, this is, you know, what is this? If you turn up and it's those guys, you know, it, it's just a different, different situation to me. Um, I think you've got to play him through it. 
Um, I think that the way to to change things is to have Jordan Shakiri there in an unusual role, like I said, a bit deeper in that eight. And the way they played it at the weekend was like a three four three essentially. Mm. And then different different ones of uh, Wijnaldum and Shakiri would take up that kind of number ten role, and the fullbacks played as traditional out and out wingers, which I think is the, is the correct approach. So that setup I thought worked, and they played poorly. And that to me is where, as I wrote earlier this week, Klopp will take solace. This is a, a there is no structural flaw. It would be a bigger concern if we came on here and said they have a complete structural flaw. The centre-back situation is an apocalypse. If they don't sign someone, the whole season is over. They're just getting into good positions and not making the right decision. And that, I think, is correctable. And in a fortnight, we may say, like at Crystal Palace, oh, they made the right decisions and they're back again and here's a chance to go and win the title. What I will say about Divock. <laughs> if, the t- if, you're, if you need a goal to go in off someone's backside and to have three ricochets and to find its way into the net and then someone to celebrate like they don't know what's happened, <laughs> he is your man, is all I'm going to say. I completely take the point, Joel. I completely take the argument. Um, it's it's a strange time, though, isn't it, in the sense that this is sort of the first time we're seeing Liverpool and Jürgen Klopp, not crisis managed, but trying to manage Liverpool through what is what can be defined now as you know a, a substantial slump in form for a sustained period. He hasn't really had to do that, and he hasn't had to do it as as the the person wearing the crown, if you like, for the last for the last well, two, three years, but time he's been at Liverpool. It's, it's a completely new situation for him. I mean, we, we touched on this last week. It, it is really, it's the antithesis of everything he wants from a from a season. You know, he doesn't have the supporters. He doesn't have that that crowd, that visceral sort of connection to call on. And I, I, I do actually think that's having an effect in this that we're not talking about. You know, you think of, you think of some of those games at Anfield recently, the crowd in recent years they wouldn't stand for that in terms of they would they would get behind Liverpool to a point where I think you know the sort of fervent nature of Anfield would a lot of the times as we've seen force an individual into a lapse of concentration for a millisecond or you know a minor error but that that is enough for Liverpool to then get in and they haven't got that at the moment. I think where that was most clear to me was was kind of the, the last 15 minutes of the first half against United. Liverpool had started really, really well that game. Um, mm. I wouldn't quite say they had them on the ropes as such, but that first 25 minutes, half an hour, they, they were repeatedly getting into the final thirds and having, if not clear-cut chances, then opportunities to create clear-cut chances if they've made the right decision or the right final pass. There was one when Thiago skipped past, I think it was... Um, might have been Wan-Bissaka or Fred. Um, and he, he's got a chance to play in Salah and he just overhits it and it goes out for a goal kick. The Firmino one I referenced before, he gets into a brilliant spot where all he's got to do is roll in Robertson and he's got a clear shot on goal from about seven or eight yards out, uh, which if he hits the target powerfully, has got a decent chance of going in. And Liverpool were getting into these spaces constantly. And that's the kind of one when you're talking about there. If, if a crowd's there, they're not letting that energy just dissipate with 15 minutes to go before half time. And what happens is there's a couple of kind of cheap fouls or free kicks that United get, um, or even goal kicks that De Gea has taken a minute over every time of his run up. And it just sucks all the momentum and the energy out of it. And Liverpool just don't really get themselves going again until kind of well through the second half. And even at that point, it's still not quite as intense. Um, so I do think that's a thing. I think in terms of the front three to come back to that one, I think Firmino more than probably any, you could almost argue any player in the league, but certainly in this Liverpool team, 
thrives off the energy of, of the crowds. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that his kind of best performance of the season have come in that like mini spell when there were a few fans there and he was playing in front of people again. Um, I know he didn't score in the game, but against Wolves, um, you see him kind of looking more just like he's enjoying himself playing with kind of freedom and yeah, it is, as much as it feels flat for us at times watching at home at the moment, you, you sense that some of the players are are suffering a little bit from that. And kind of when I think it's the momentum thing um, is that when this Liverpool team has been so good in the past, it has been building up ahead of steam and cranking it up. And we've spoken loads about that 15-minute spell before half-time uh, as when they score a lot of their goals and make the breakthrough. And at the moment, it just feels like yeah it's so stop start and you can kind of build up momentum but if they don't get the goal as has been the case in in recent games um the, the games kind of just they almost sleepwalk into a kind of a tepid flat um a strange state where kind of just not an awful lot is happening and they struggle to snap themselves out of it just final word for you ollie uh, this this season has been one for me that's been made up of a lot of a lot of individual moments and a lot of individual, um, a lot of individual brilliance in terms of one or two players doing something extremely well, um, and and the rest sort of carrying. It's it's the old sort of playing the piano and carrying it type of analogy that you can that you can come back to. And and I think I think with Liverpool we've seen that. I think we've seen players in form at different points of the season carrying them through. We had Jota, you know, we've had Curtis. Gini Wijnaldum, across three, four game runs, have been the guys who've gone, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the shining light here. I'm gonna be the architect, if you like. And across the league too, you know, players like Bruno Fernandez mm-hmm. can be mercurial in their own individual right, and it does feel like a season for the individual as much as anything. I mean, Liverpool could really do with someone stepping up to the plate for for three or four games, and and if they've got a player like Thiago coming back in, who you know we've seen how he can conduct the other night. Um, he could be the one for, for me who can just get them by the horns for, for three games and say, right, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, pull others around him into into a, a seven out of 10, which may be enough to get over the line. Yeah, I mean, the, the one individual performance I would note is, I think Allison has gone to a level that's like, I already thought he was the best goalkeeper in the world, and I think he's just putting distance between himself. And he's never really had to be an out-and-out match winner that keeps you in a title race. Mm. Uh, and now he is being. I mean, he's keeping them in the title race. Um, so that, to me, would be the one consistent, genuinely world-class, every time he's on the pitch, player they've had this year in terms of consistency when he's available. Um, Thiago was interesting. You know, I, I've written a ton about the Thiago effect, and everyone who's listening knows that I just adore the man, have done forever. Um, can't believe, honestly, still that he's in the Liverpool kit, and I'm so frustrated I'm not able to actually go and see it in person. It doesn't feel real quite. Um, but you see with everyone else who kind of touches the ball frequently, there's like a fizz. It rattles back and forth, right? He plays it to them, they play it back, and he's like, okay, we're, we're moving through the gears now. Similar to Klopp still believes for some reason Milner can do this, it's why he brings him on. And we saw Henderson do this a lot last year. He's like, okay, I'm really pushing us now, and it's pass and move, pass and move. It's not had the effect in the front three, I thought it would. I really thought they would move a lot more and be like, wow, we got Thiago, everything is possible. There's not a passing angle that is not plausible anymore because this little lad's got the ball. And that hasn't happened. And that to me is the thought, I'm waiting for that to click where either they realise and their geniuses in their own right, 
or they just get on the right chemistry. I, I thought the connection would be instant between them. We're all football geniuses. Let's go and do this. And it just hasn't happened yet. That to me is a, is a bit of a concern, but I would expect when you have, what, four of the world's 15 best footballers that they would be able to figure it out. I think, sorry, just to add in on there, part of my argument and thinking for playing the front three through this run is what Oli said there, having them on the pitch as much as possible and building that understanding with Thiago. Um, because we've really only seen it in in flashes so far. And I think had the decision-making, the execution been better against United, we would probably be coming away from that saying Thiago was one of, if not the match winner for Liverpool um, in terms of what he was supplying to the front three. So I think he's at a point where he's kind of gradually getting his match sharpness back, understanding the system more, and he's improving. But at the same time, he's playing in a team where the front three at the lowest level they've ever been at under Klopp. And I think, yeah, that's what I want to see over the next few weeks is them, the front three, get their mojo back and be on the pitch of him. Because I think, yeah, there's no way if you have those four playing at least kind of 75, 80% of Liverpool's remaining league games this season, that they're not in in and around the conversation come May. OK, massive thanks to Joel and to Ali. That's been this week's Liverpool.com podcast. Do be sure to check out the site for a ton of uh, features and, and different content that will be there for you, including more video content, which we're doing more and more of. So head over to liverpool.com and have a look at that. Uh, we'll be with you throughout the Burnley game. And if you're commenting on this on YouTube, remember to be nice. We're, uh, we're all a bit sensitive at the minute. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.